Welcome, everybody. Good morning. It is so great to have you with us this morning. Um, if you are a guest with us, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for joining us today. And if you are part of the Crossbridge family, I want to say welcome home. Uh, it's great to have you back here together in person, three weeks in a row now. It's like a record. And uh, I mean, you know this in my heart that my deepest desire and our deepest desire as a church is that for today, no matter where you find yourself in your relationship with Jesus, I hope and I pray that you would be able to take one step towards him. It's what we're all about. It's worth everything you've got. Um, I'm sorry, I'm still overwhelmed from worship, so oh, he's so faithful. Um, I just think that, man, we're three weeks in a row now. Uh, uh, um, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, I write these messages up and, and practice them and try to make sure they're all ready and so that I get to give you my best, like the band practices and the worship team practices, not just to sound good, but to really worship God together and invite you into doing it. And man, it's overwhelming that we get to do this together and to hear each other and oh my gosh, and it's one thing, I would say, I think from knowing it's going to be good to get back together and then understanding it when we are, right? We all knew that it was going to be good to get back together, but understanding it really means being present with each other and being a part of it. And it's funny, I think there's a difference between knowing and understanding. And I know when I took this trip with uh, this group of men where we went to had the opportunity to go to the Middle East together... Uh, there were certain things I knew about Eastern culture that, you know, made sense to me. And I was like, oh, I, I, I get this. I, I know that. I know about, you know, this culture being, you know, largely family-oriented. Um, I have actually quite a few friends who uh, are part of arranged marriages. Their marriages were arranged, and they're super successful marriages. They love each other like crazy. But it was interesting because while I knew that, I didn't quite understand how powerful the idea of family was until this re most recent trip. There was um, a, a gentleman that we happened to be working with over there, and he was engaged, and it was a prearranged marriage, and what was great and interesting is actually during the week and a half that we were there, he met his fiance, and they began to have conversations, and they were great conversations, and when they were all done, he actually stopped and uh, called off the engagement. He called off the engagement, which is unheard of in this culture. It's almost like getting divorced in this culture. And as we began to talk to our friends on the ground who know this culture way better than we did, I was, what, what happened? This response helped me understand that family is central. The gentleman said she used the word I and me too much in our conversation. She didn't talk about we or us. It was I and me. And I thought, and he thought to himself, this will upset my family dynamic. Our family can't handle someone that's me focused when we're we focused. And I think that's super hard for us to understand in our culture because we largely, in every one of our families, think about me. We think about me. And when it comes to engagements, marriages, future, 
we thinking, we're usually thinking, what am I going to get from them for me? Do I like them? Am I compatible with them? How many times, if, if you are married right now, how many times did you think, will they really get along with my family? That's usually not top on our list, is it? I mean, it comes into play if they don't like each other and you're like, oh, do I want to deal with this for the rest of my life? But what did I just say? Do I want to deal with this? We live in a, such an individualistic society that it impacts the way that we operate and work within our families. And I am convinced today that, that if we're being honest, the way that we view our families impacts the way that we view and the way that we live out our faith. The way that we look at our families, how we operate in our families impacts the way that we view when we operate in our faith. And I know it's a pretty bold statement, and they, you may be thinking, Jimmy, those don't seem like they are connected at all. My hope is that through today, you will understand, not just know, but that you'll understand what I mean when I say that family is bigger than me. Family's about we. And so here's the deal. If you're with us today and you're a guest with us or you're with us and you are someone who is searching out your faith, you have not placed your faith in Jesus um, and you're trying to figure this out, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us. If you're watching with us online and that's where you are, thank you for being with us today. But listen, this message is not necessarily geared towards you, okay? You can take what I'm about to say and go, check. I don't have to worry about it. So take an exhale breath. Ah. <sighs> You're free. However, I really do think that when we unpack what Jesus has to say about family, I believe that there's something in here for you to apply to your life today that you're going to think this could make my family life different because you may not believe in him, but I'm promising you what he says is true when you put it into application. And even if you put it into application, you're going to go, that was true. This Jesus guy isn't so bad. Yeah, he's the Messiah. Take your time getting there. Take your steps. This may be the first one. I think there's something in here for you. But if you are a disciple of Jesus and one of his followers, this is for us. So what we're going to do today is, would you do me a favor? We're going to look at the biography of Jesus written by Mark. And we're going to uh, be in the third chapter. So Mark chapter 3. Um, and what you need to know is you're turning to Mark chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, uh, please let us give you a Bible. We have a handful in the back. Just raise your hand and we will give it to you. Um, it is the most life-giving book you will ever have in your hand. When you get into Mark chapter 3, this is super early in Jesus's ministry. And up to this point, um, if you've never read the biography of Jesus by Mark, it's great because it's really quick. It's action-packed. It's one story to the next. And up to this point, since it's early, there's been lots of things that Jesus has done. He has done all sorts of miracles. The word about his teaching, that's gotten out, and people are drawn to his teaching. They've seen these miracles, and they're drawing these huge crowds. And as soon as he goes from one place and moves on to the next, that crowd follows, and it begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger as he travels. And what you find early on in chapter three is this really unique moment that all these followers of Jesus have come together and Jesus goes in and we find out from the other biographies that he spends some time praying the night before and then comes back and picks 12 of these men to say, you guys, you're going to be my disciples. You're the 12 that I'm going to invest in a little more. 
And this is where we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. You can follow along with me. It says this. One time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Okay, so what we have here is Jesus and his disciples being sought out by so many people that he doesn't have time to even sit and eat. Okay, quick moment of honesty here. How many of you had, have ever had days like this? So busy you haven't had time to eat. Um, if you're watching with us online right now, this is the perfect time to put your hand emoji up, your amen, this one. Yeah, come on, how many of you have had this moment? Raise your hands high. You haven't thought, I, I, did I eat today? I don't know. I, here's what's funny. If you've ever had those moments, you know how you get like hangry a little later and, and you start, to, okay, maybe I won't put that on you. I get hangry later. I will say my wife gets hangry later. And if she's had those moments, I'll say to her, oh gosh, forgive me. I'll say to her, why didn't you just make time to eat? That's a dumb thing to say to your spouse when they haven't eaten. Do you think if I had the time to eat, I just didn't feel like eating? No, no. So what we have is this moment where Jesus is so busy because of the people that are crowding around him in the house. And, and what do we see happen is that, that Jesus can't go pound a five-hour energy. He can't just pull out a protein bar or stop at Chick-fil-A drive through because it's the Lord's chicken, right? What does he do? He's being pulled in a hundred directions. Again, his family shows up like they're squatting to get him out, like, let's go, full family. How many of you think about the fact that Jesus, while he walked on earth, was part of a human family with brothers and sisters? Did you know that he had brothers and sisters? If you go to the other biography written by Matthew, um, we find in chapter 13 that Jesus has at least four brothers there who are listed. Um, we read about uh, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and then right after we read that a number of his sisters were there as well. Like he came from a big old family here, and so they show up at the busy time saying, you need to eat, we're getting you out. And you know why they show up? You could look at the passage. Why do they show up? He's out of his mind. His family thinks he's crazy. His family thinks he's crazy. They've grown up with him. They know him. I, I mean, when you think about it, how would you feel having Jesus as your older brother? Right? How many times do you think Mary said, why can't you just be like Jesus? You know, like, as, as a James, I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want, I don't want that. But what's interesting is from this moment, we won't read it, but if you continue through the passage, Jesus doesn't go with them. Jesus actually stays there, and he gets into this crazy, heated argument and this debate with the Pharisees. And as he's working with the Pharisees, we see this conversation going back and forth. I have a feeling that based on how family cultures work, they left, and they're like, he's crazy. We're not dealing with this. 
And he just got into a fight with the religious leaders from Jerusalem. They traveled out here. This argument is not something I want our family to be a part of. We're out. And they kind of retreat from the situation. When the argument concludes, we find in verse 31 that Jesus finally has time to sit. Let's read. Then Jesus' mothers and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and they sent word to him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. This time, they don't even try to get inside. They're not even trying to get to Jesus. They send someone as a messenger. And, and when Jesus is finally sitting here, I have to imagine with some amazing food in front of him, recharging from the day, he's got this mixed crowd around him. Now, remember, he has traveled from city to city to city, and now there's a huge gathering of people that he has healed and cast out deep. And like, who's surrounding him? Well, these 12 newly picked disciples. This includes Judas, who we know later will betray Jesus to his death. We see the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who have traveled here from Jerusalem. They're the pros. We see the people that Jesus has healed from diseases. We see the people that Jesus has healed from their demon possession. And I am positive that there are people who are just curious about who this guy is that are in this room. And in this mixed multitude of people, this messenger works himself to the front and simply says, almost like, Jesus, your fam's outside. They, they need you. They're, they're calling for you. Now, if you remember, um, this is a culture that is built on honoring your family. Not listening to a request like this would be dishonoring his family. Do you remember when we talked about this two weeks ago in Luke chapter 15 with the story of the two brothers, that not going into the party from the older brother's perspective, not going in was actually shaming his dad and his brother. And so here in this moment, what does Mary's son do? What does Mary's son do? say. Verse 33 tells us that Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus doesn't go out. Jesus stays right where he is. And here's what's wild. The heart of Mary's request and the brother's request was natural. It was normal. This was expected in this culture. But the response of Jesus in verse 33 is so unexpected. And, and it's shocking when you think about it. In such a strongly ethnocentric, patriarchal, family-centered culture to say, no, I'm staying here. And, and he does it by asking these two rhetorical questions that everybody knows, like, who's my mother? Who's my brother? It's like, dude, they're outside. <laughs> You're, is he crazy? Like, he asks this question, but I think that he asks them in such a way that it leaves this moment for him to stop and to look at each person in the room. And as he looks at them, this mixed multitude of people, he comes to a place of saying, 
Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Please understand in this moment, Jesus is not rejecting his family. He's not disowning his family. He's not abandoning his family. Jesus um, doesn't no longer love his family. We know that he continues to be in relationship with his family. We know that he stays in contact with them. Uh, where we are in our soaping right now, um, if you soap with us, we, we, this is how we read the Bible together each day, and, and it's amazing. And as we're going through John, you're going to hit chapter 19. And while Jesus is on the cross, and he's taking these labored breaths, do you know what he uses one of those breaths for? In John 19, he sees his mom and his heart breaks for his mother. And he looks at John, his best friend, and says, you've got to take care of her. Would you treat her like she's your own mother? Because as the oldest son, that would have been his responsibility. He can't take on this responsibility. And so he passes it to the disciple that he loves, that he knows will take care of his mom. All these brothers that think he's crazy, we actually know that one of his half-brothers places his trust in Jesus as the Messiah, writes one of our New Testament books, the book of James. That's Jesus' brother. What's it going to take to get your brother to believe you're the Messiah? I mean, deep, passionate love. That's what it takes. So Jesus is not rejecting, abandoning, not loving his family in this moment. He's, in this statement, he's redefining family for his current and his future followers. He's broadening the term family. And he has to do this because, unfortunately, his life, the way that he lived his life, was bringing tension into families all around him. Anyone who traveled with him was going to start to mess up family dynamics. His death and his resurrection would begin to divide families completely. When someone chose to become a follower of Jesus and get baptized to identify with him after the resurrection, many of them were basically kicked out of their family of origin. Many of them were removed from their homes and their places of community where they found their relationships. I mean... For all intents and purposes, when you placed your trust in Jesus, you became homeless. You became homeless. And unless their whole family were to turn to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, there would be no homecoming. There wouldn't be. So Jesus looks at this crazy group of people and he says, this, this is my family. And in verse 35, family is defined by anyone. If you have your Bibles with you, circle, underline, highlight if you're using it in the app. That word, anyone. Hi, like, think about it. Just say anyone with me. Anyone. Say it. Anyone. Say it again. Anyone. If you're watching online, put this in the comments. Anyone. Jesus says that his family is anyone who does God's will. This is not an exclusive statement. This is an inclusive statement. Jesus' family is focused on what? We, not me. 
It's a we statement. What binds followers of Christ together is not a common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality or accents or jobs or anything like that. That's not what binds us together. Followers of Jesus come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ. And their desire is to do God's will together. I know you're wearing masks. That's a moment of amen, okay? Do you not recognize your part of a huge group of people that's not defined by your color, your race, your gender? None of this matters. What matters is if we do the will of God, that's in anyone. You're in anyone if you do the will of God, amen? My goodness, this is great news. This is amazing news. And, and for all of these outcasts who followed Jesus, this was an invitation to family that wasn't going to reject them because they were different or they made mistakes. If they turned from their sin and they followed him in doing God's will, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my mother, this is my family. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He has brought us together, and, and it's almost like a spin on that prodigal son story from two weeks ago. That elder son sat outside, and he had the opportunity to be a blessing to his family, but he didn't. And Jesus, in the truest form of what the elder brother could have been, took only his inheritance since the rest was squandered. And Jesus sets a table before us welcoming us into the home, welcoming us to celebrate him, to celebrate family, and then anyone else who comes along the path behind us who says, there's, there's a party there that I can go to. There's a place at the table that I am welcomed. And Jesus invites us in. And he did this at his own expense. He died for us. He, he was plundered for us, and here we sit at the Father's table dressed in his robes, with his ring on our finger, his sandals on our feet, all through Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we have to celebrate and live out the truth that we are members of a bigger kingdom family, and it's all at the expense of our older brother, Jesus Christ. This is what the table of family looks like. This is the definition. And when you think about it, does this view of family impact the way that we should see our faith? Does this impact the way that we should see anyone else who says that they have placed their trust in Jesus, that they are our family, whether we like what they agree with or not, it doesn't matter. Even Red Sox fans who have placed their trust in Jesus are my family. I love you, brother. Do you know that you sit at the table of the Father as a member of a family and you are already accepted and loved? That you don't have to do anything, that your obedience doesn't get you acceptance and love from God. But because of his love for you, it inspires our obedience for what he wants from us to do his will. I know I keep saying this, this phrase, God's will. It's, as a pastor, 
when I was a youth pastor, family pastor, now as a pastor who gets the privilege of teaching all the time and meeting with people, can I tell you the, the question that I get asked so often from people is, you know, Pastor Jimmy, can you help me figure out God's will for my life? How many of you have asked that question to yourself before? Like, God, what's, what's your will for my life? What am I supposed to do right now? If you've placed your trust in Jesus, let me tell you, this question should pop up like every morning. God, what's your will for me today? Maybe in every moment, like, what am I supposed to do? What's God's will? Pastor Jimmy, help me. How do I know if I'm doing this? Here's the thing. If doing God's will is what defines family, how do we know if someone else is doing that? It's kind of an important, and these are amazing questions, and I think they're questions that we should be asking, and it, what's great is that this is the question that the first century church was asking to figure out who belongs and who doesn't. Who comes in and sits at the table, and who's not part of this movement right now? I think the Apostle Paul, he's gonna, he brings some clarity to this for us today of figuring out what's God's will so that we know what family looks like, and I'd love to take a moment to just see how Paul instructs one of the earliest churches to help them understand what Jesus has just said, that who is my family? Anyone who does the will of God. Okay, cool, but what's that look like when people don't like each other? What's that look like when, when we don't agree on something? Welcome to the first century church. It looks no different than today. This is an important thing for us to understand. And I use the word understand because it's not about knowing. It's about understanding. And so Paul, at the moment he's going to be writing, has lost everything. Um, we have to remember this. He has lost his family. He has lost his job. He has been uh, brutally attacked at almost every city he goes to because of his faith in Jesus. When we talk about giving up, he understands the tension that the average person who placed their trust in Jesus that was Jewish would have felt. And so now he's going to write to a church in the greatest city in the world at the time, the city of Rome. And this is a church that is divided. It's really, really divided, and it's important you understand why and how they're divided. If you were with us during our When Church Hurts series that we uh, did with Grace Church in Logan, we, you got a little bit of background into the letter to the Romans. Here's what's important for you to understand. So this may be familiar to some of you, um, but I, it's important for us to catch up on. Roman, the, the Roman city of Rome, <laughs> uh, Rome actually has, at the time, the, a couple of years before Paul's writing this, a substantial amount of Jewish people living in the city. And this Jewish community has grown, and the emperor really doesn't mind that they're there. They pay their taxes, they make a decent amount of money, and they pay more taxes. He lets them get away with worshiping their one true God, and, and he's like, yeah, that's fine, whatever, you do what you do. But in about 49 AD, the Emperor Claudius, look how good this guy looks. Mm, he's so just, I'm ready. Claudius with this bowl open and holding his little stick there, he's, he's about to get real frustrated at the Jewish people and because they begin to fight and argue with each other a lot. They begin to argue with each other over a word. A single word is what they're arguing over. And in the Latin, this word is Christus. They began to argue over Jesus, the, the Christ. 
The Jewish people were in a place where some were believing in Jesus, others were saying this is all false, and now what we have is this awkward moment where Claudius is like, I, I don't care if you believe in Christus, don't be believe in Christus, you're all Jewish, you're all fighting over this, get out. And he boots everybody in the entire city that's Jewish. He wants nothing to do with them. And it stays this way for about five years until he passes away. And what we find is that when Nero takes over, he's like, wait a minute. We could bring them back and pay taxes. We'll figure this out. Let's bring them back in. And so the, all the Jewish people come back into the city of Rome. But here's what's interesting. All of the Gentile disciples of Jesus, Gentile simply meaning not Jewish, all of those Roman citizens who have placed their trust in Jesus that never got kicked out, do you know what they started doing? Church differently. Church started to look a little bit different because they didn't have to do all the rules and all the, the things that the Jewish people were saying, this is important for worship. And they're like, well, wow, we don't have to go to the temple, do we? Why don't we just start doing this in our homes? We don't have to go to these places. Let's just hang out and do this together. This is fine. This is what they did. So could you imagine all these Jewish Christians coming back going, but that's not how it's done. That, that's not what you're supposed to do. This is not what God wants from you. And then the Gentiles saying, well, that's, yeah, it is. This is what God wants for you. Like, what's your problem? Could you see the tension? You think this would cause an issue? I do. I do. They can't figure out how to be family. They need to. And so for 11 chapters in this letter, Paul unpacks and he addresses both sides. Here's why you're both family. But let's get practical. If Jesus says anyone who does the will of God is family, in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul gets practical and he kind of lays a major truth bomb on them. In Romans chapter 12, Starting in verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Paul starts out with family language, brothers, sisters, right? We're in this together is what he's saying. And, and, and he reminds them that their life should not be about me. I, me, should not be the center. He begins to say, if this is going to happen, if you're going to get you out of the center, it's going to come through one thing, and that is transformation of the mind, transformation of the thinking that they have. They've got to stop thinking they're the center and start knowing Jesus is the center. Because of what Jesus has done for them, it puts them all on the same page. No one's better, no one's worse. Jesus is the center. And he's pushing this idea that, listen, your gatherings can look different. They can be all sorts of different expressions of worshiping God. Fine. That's what the last chapters have been about. But at this point, your preference doesn't matter. You've got to figure out how to start acting like family you have got to come together and figure this out. You have got to work together to figure this out. Because the problem is, you're the center. You think that what you want matters more than what they want. Your church has taken on the patterns of this world and the behaviors of this world. This is not a time when I think he's pointing at the church and saying, well, they, you know, drink this much, so you shouldn't. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying, you live in a culture completely based with me at the center. 
You've let that impact the church. Stop behaving like the world. You are not the center. Jesus is the center. It's not me, it's we. Get it together. That's what he's saying to the church. I'm not saying that to you. You looked nervous for a second. Paul invites his brothers and sisters in this moment. You need to start thinking Jesus' way. And here's how you discover what God's will is. One way. Verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In order for us to discover God's will, the only thing that will bring this church back together is to be transformed into new people by changing the way they think. And everyone, everyone is invited to do this. They all wanted their things, their needs. This is what church should look like for us. It should be on this day at this time. And if it's not... It's not convenient for me. I'm sure that the Jewish Christians who came back in had to figure out which laws were going to get dropped. This is going to be a burden if we're going to work together. I'm sure those Gentile followers of Jesus were going to have to figure out, okay, if we're going to eat bacon-wrapped shrimp, when are we going to do this? Because it's not going to work for them. We can't use that for communion anymore, can we? Right? Things got to change. Why? To honor each other because their wants were not nearly as important as the needs of the people around them. If they were going to look different in that Roman culture to reach people and invite them to the table of Jesus, you can't do that if you hate each other and work together. You can't do that if you're not family. No one wants to be part of that family. And he wants to change. Jesus wants to change the way that we think from me to we. We have to get out of thinking that church is about us. We have to move from a place of thinking that I go to a church service as a consumer. You're not a consumer if you follow Jesus. You are a disciple of Jesus. And this hour or so that we get to spend together is about glorifying him and worshiping him. I don't like the style of music. I don't care. I don't. Well, Jimmy, when you you push that way, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to go somewhere else that makes me comfortable. That's not working together. Can we do this together, please? You know, I know someone in that church, they think this, I don't, I don't want to work with them. I'm sorry, when did this become about you? When did this become about me? Jesus has called us to demonstrate what he has done to live his life. And the very king of the universe in John 13 takes his towel off to wash his disciples' feet, saying, we, guys... We is more important than me. If anybody has the right to judge and for their feet to be washed, it's me. But not even me gets to focus on me. This is we. So would you please let the world know that you're my follower by the way that you love each other, by the way that you live out we. And I am so burdened by the fact... And I'm not pointing this at just our church, but I do not believe that the church of Jesus Christ looks like we. We look like me, and we look too much like our world who says what I want is more important 
than what we could do together. And because of that, the testimony of Jesus has been dragged through the mud. We make he look bad. Who's going to want to come to a table that's all about how many mashed potatoes you could put on your plate and not pass to the next? I'm not going there. And so as we close today, I'm positive that God wants us to be engaging in this together. We. Right after that passage in Romans chapter 12, after saying you've got to get it together to focus on Jesus at the center to be we, he unpacks that every single person who's in the we that placed their trust in Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and giving gifts supernaturally to build up the body of Christ. He repeats it again to another church in, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, and he says, everybody's given a gift. Everybody has a place. You may not feel like you belong in your family, but you belong here. But if you're coming home, everybody's got some jobs. Everybody's got some roles. You can't just say I'm part of the family and not empty the dishwasher. Someone's got to do it, right? You can't be part of the family and say, I'd really like to go out all the time, but I don't want to get a job. Doesn't work, does it? We work together. And so he says to this church, if you're going to work together, God's given you gifts to do this. So start working together. And there's all sorts of different gifts, gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and service and preaching and teaching, administration. Um, we read in the Old Testament music, creativity. Um, all of these things blend together to make this beautiful picture of the body of Christ working together. And as a church, I fear that some come on Sunday as a consumer for me. And I need to tell you, you break my heart because you rob us. I don't know any other way to put it. When, when we can't do this together, it's left with extra energy on someone else to try to do it. If we want to reach more people for Jesus, we do this together. And so my question for you today is, where, where's your space? Where do you plug in with the we? Because if you keep coming as a me, I don't know that Crossbridge is going to be the place for you very long if you've placed your trust in Jesus. If you haven't, I want to help you figure this out. And when you place your trust in Jesus, he's giving you a gift that should bless this community. What is it? Right now, we're homecoming. We went 18 months where a lot of us got a break, or a lot of, a lot of you got a break. There was no place to serve. We get that. We're back now. So what's your place? We're throwing a QR code up online, or up on our screens right now. And if you're watching online, this is going to be right there for you. If you don't have a place where you plug in at Crossbridge... You could scan this right now, and it will have a description of all the different places that you could plug in, all the different ways that you could be present here to say, you know what? I am, I am supposed to be part of this. It's we. I could do this. Setup this morning was amazing. We could probably use eight to ten more people, and I say people because it's like, oh, well, that's what the guys should do. Please. I love when families do this together. It's my favorite thing in the world. Anybody can move chairs. This isn't uh, you need to be a... No, no, no. We, we could do this together. I love that my daughter comes to set up chairs almost every Sunday because she wonders who's sitting in them. It's the coolest thing in the world. CB Kids, Becky, thank you so much for passing that baton so unbelievably well. And how blessed are we as a church 
to have had Becky leading us and now Mary Beth leading us. Guess what? She's newer to Crossbridge over the last two years. She doesn't know you. She needs you. This is we. Show her that we're family. We don't need you back there. It's a privilege to be working with our kids. They'll teach you more about Jesus than you ever know or than I ever will. What a privilege. Our welcoming team, if you're like, I got a weird smile. You're wearing a mask right now. No big deal. There's a place for you. I know a lot of people have a garbage week and there's nothing better than when you walk through those doors and someone smiles and said, I'm glad you're here. That may be the first time someone said that to them this week. What a privilege. We need that. Making sure that slides are working. Um, this is important because you've all engaged. I've watched you share screens. If you're online and you're thinking, oh, good, I'm out of this. Whew. I'm not going in person. There's a place for you online. You're watching right now. There's other people watching with you. We need help greeting them, making sure they feel welcome right where you are. That's important. Our sound team, it's a brand new system. If you don't know how to do it, We'll help you figure it out. We're still figuring it out, right? We can help you. Just don't come for me. Don't let I be the center of why you do what you do because that's not the table that God invites us to. It's the table of we. So do you come to the table with me or we on your mind? And this is what I want to be on your brain right now as we approach communion together. I'm going to ask Jeremy if you would come up and lead us into communion this morning. Would you pray with me as Jeremy comes up? Jesus, I thank you that as the one who could be me and centered around me, you thought we on the cross. Even uttering the words, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Your heart broke for us. And I am so humbled by your faithfulness that when we choose to not sit at the table or choose to overpile a plate of, this is for me, in your graciousness, you love us and call us to something greater, being a part of this family. God, would you move in our hearts, inspire us, give us wisdom and great discernment. Where can we serve you? by plugging in together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If you consider yourself a, a part of God's family, if you've made that decision to be part of our family, hopefully this morning as you came in on that table coming in, you grabbed this little cup with the wafer in it. Um, if you forgot, if you didn't, we do have a, a little basket in the back with some of it. If you stick your hand up, we'll bring, bring you a, one of them around. Um, there's some gluten-free options there for those who need that. So, um, you know, that's there for you as well. Um, I, I love just how much the sermon, the message, dovetails perfectly into communion this morning. Because the, the disciples... And Jesus, they met in the upper room together, right, as a family. They're celebrating Passover together. And as they break the bread of life, as they eat the bread of life, and they drink from the cup of redemption, Jesus says, this is my will. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And when he ascends into heaven, the disciples, they're meeting together. And as the church grows, as the family of God grows, 
the church in Rome, they're meeting together in houses, and they're just gathering together as family, family of God. And when they did that, it says they would take communion together. They would do this together. They didn't have the disciples with them all the time. They didn't have a pastor. They just met together and did this in remembrance of what God did for them. And so this morning, we get to do that together. We get to do that together. So why don't you take this out? Kind of peel those little layers apart. And we're going to take the wafer. We're going to take the bread, the bread of life, the body of Christ that was broken for us. We're going to snap it in half to remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I think my, my attitude or my, my, my emotions a lot of times when I'm taking communion, and, I, and maybe this is for you too, it's usually a som- very somber thing for me. The weight of Jesus' sacrifice falls upon me. But I think that there's a, there's a celebration there too, right? I, I imagine the church, the early church meeting together and talking about it, and the excitement of Jesus in them, being a family together and what it means to be part of that family. I think there's an excitement there. There's a celebration of the change of life and the family, just togetherness. So when we eat this, when we eat the bread of life, and when we drink the blood that was shed for us, that covers our sins, I want to do it this morning in a celebration of that sacrifice for us, of what it means that we get to be a family, no matter what we look like, no matter where you are in your life, no matter where we come from, that it covers us all, that the brokenness of Christ, the shedding of his blood covers our sins and makes us one together. So do this together this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that we are one family under you. That no matter where we come from, no matter what we look like, no matter what our lives look like, that you have adopted us all into your family, God. You welcome everyone in, and that we all have a place around your table. Lord, allow us to use those gifts that you've given us to not only strengthen and encourage those around your table, Lord, but to reach out to others who don't feel like they have a spot, Lord, to encourage them to join the table, to understand that they are welcome in your kingdom, that they are loved by you, that they are loved by a family, Lord, that wants to bring them and give them community and love upon them. Lord, remind us continually this week that we are part of your family And that as part of your family, Lord, that we are called to do your will, that we are called to share your gifts, not to be selfish, not to be focused on me, but God, remind remind us, remind me, Lord, that it's about we, that it's about us, Lord, that we are to do this together for your kingdom. In your heavenly name, amen. Guys, you can go ahead and we're going to head out this morning. Just remember, same time next week here or online. See you next week.